Marco. Polo. We're going to be doing a lot of that at the carpool. I'm your host, Stu. <laughs> and I'm Kyle. And today we're looking at our final section from Weather Lights. We are indeed. This is part four of our multi-part set review in which we're going to review the set as a whole, talk about a lot of different things, and finally give our rankings at the end of all of this. And you can look back at some of our first three parts, Hidden Gems and Money Cards, in our previous videos. Stu, do you want to discuss a little bit about what we're going to be talking about in these videos? Sure. So the way we break it down is we take a couple looks at some certain particular things. The first one being the biggest, the themes and mechanics. Mm. Pretty much each set has its own unique flair, so seeing where this one lies is kind of big. Followed by the hidden gems that we ourselves picked out in our previous episodes. Uh, that is episode one and two. And then episode three, we talk about our money cards, and then we're going to reflect on those quickly as well. And then briefly touch up on the lore, and then finally talk about how the impact of this was on magic as a whole. Indeed. And then from there, after we're done doing all of that, well, at the end, we're going to go through and rank this on a four-set scale from bronze all the way up to mm -hmm. platinum. And we'll justify where it lands for our own meticulous biases. Indeed. But until then, <laughs> let's start on the mechanics, like we were saying. So, yep. uh, themes and mechanics, it is all right and so there's only three of them we're going to discuss today and none of these were really new to this set no. they were just kind of recycled from older sets but the first one up is going to be cumulative upkeep and for that we see a card like inner sanctum for example from this set so uh, to, to explain a little bit about cumulative upkeep whenever a card has a cumulative upkeep you put an age counter on it at the beginning of each one of your upkeeps, and basically what ends up happening is it accumulates a certain cost, whether it's mana, whether it's life, what have you. There we go, there's Inner Sanctum. So yeah. for example, this card is a cumulative upkeep of two life. So you're going to have to pay the first turn two life, and then four life, six life, eight life as it goes on. And the way how this is done, most people just assume you have to kind of remember it, but it's actually counters that get put on these yeah, things. Yeah, each counters. Yeah. And so that means they have a certain interaction with cards that proliferate, remove counters, mm -hmm. et cetera, et cetera. Um, we talked about a fun interaction with this in Sol Solemnity. Solemnity, yeah, yeah. Which is great <laughs> for in white. But, uh, I mean, you see this, it's, it's a very taxing cost as the mm. game progresses. Uh, it's more or less in its scope of what it can do. It's pretty obvious. Yeah, and how strong these cards are entirely depends on what they do and what their cumulative upkeep is asking out of you. For this card, Inner Sanctum, I think it is kind of worth it in the end because white, as I said in my previous video here, it gains life pretty easily, which means you can offset the cost of this, and the effect for that mana cost is definitely worth it, but that's not always true. Yeah, it can be anything from sacking a creature to not drawing a card or a bunch of different stuff like that. Yeah, so it basically depends entirely on the individual strength of the card. But onto our second mechanic, and this one is a little goofy, I feel, but it is called flanking, and we're gonna look at a card mm -hmm. like Jabari's. Jabari, Jabari, Jab whatever, I don't know. You can do whatever you want with this one. <laughs> Good old J-Dog's banner. <laughs> um, so that banner is waving, but uh, so the main thing to worry about with this is what it actually says in the quotes, and it says, whether a creature without flanking is assigned to block this creature, 
sorry. Whenever a creature without flanking is assigned to block this creature, the blocking creature gets minus one, minus one until the end of turn. And there's a whole series of creature cards mm. out there that have flanking, and I mean, most of them do not. So if it has it, it yeah. pretty much gets a instant boost on the opponent's oppressive creature and it works for all the creatures blocking so they mm -hmm. decided double block and it's great because it can take out certain problems right off the bat so one one little chump blockers are very ineffective especially at typhoid rats with death touch those kind of things yes. are generally very annoying flanking cuts that out of the equation just so you know though jabari's banner actually was not featured in any of our videos because we didn't talk about flanking in any no, of our videos really it really doesn't do much honestly. no it's it's an interesting ability but not one i've ever found really that relevant the only good thing i have to say about it is multiple instances of flanking do stack so if you happen to have a creature that has like three instances of flanking a blocking creature getting minus three minus three right off the bat it's... that starts being pretty good yeah i can so, see that yeah but otherwise if it's just the one flanking i don't really see what it's gonna do you know no again it just makes it so chump blockers are more or less taken out of it but they're still declared blockers it's just their right. damage doesn't actually affect yeah, it it's... i never really got this ability I don't see what the benefit is for the most part. I, I, I think your example with the death touch is more or less the best way to yeah. do it. It's able to save you from these little guys that you normally don't want to interact with. Speaking of non-interaction, though, we're going to go to our last uh, mechanic that we're going to talk about, which is phasing, and go back to a card that Stu previewed called Teferi's Veil, for example. So in this case, whenever any creature you control attacks, it phases out at the end of combat. Now, when a creature phases out, it will is treated as though it doesn't exist, and it will phase back in at the beginning of your next turn. And it's not exiled. We go over this a little bit in our previous mm. videos as well, but more or less, put your hand over it. That's the same kind of thing. It's just yep. pretend like it's you don't see it, there. <laughs> and it comes back at some point later. It usually mm -hmm. specifies combat and a turn, your next turn, etc., etc. Yeah, and phasing, I think, as I said before, is a cool and potentially useful ability, but it all depends on the timing. And for this one, there's so many preconditions involved in this that it makes it a little bit risky. Yes and no, but I mean, we see newer cards like Teferi's Protection where it is a phenomenal oh, yeah, card. Definitely. So it has its plays. It's just some of the older ones are a little bit lower in their mechanics uh, scalability. Usefulness, for, yeah. Yeah, that's another word for it. Uh, but, yeah, I should have used usefulness. <laughs> but uh, anyway, so it's, it's something that makes it so, again, it's a little bit more restrictive on how it does it. It's either too much mana, or it's a tap effect, or the creature's too big, or it just, it doesn't fit. It, so this is one of the few ones that I found thought would be more decent in what it can do, mm. and can have a little bit more fun interactions that normally you don't see, but Beyond that, that's pretty much what phasing does in a, in a nutshell. Yep, just got to be careful about when you use it. Yeah, but uh, enough of that. Now we're going to go on to the hidden gems we went into, and we'll briefly dive into this. If you want to see a bigger look at what we had, check out our previous videos. You can find a description for our first one down below. For sure, and for me, I guess I'll start us off here. The hidden gems were the part that I liked the most about this set. They were really, really cool. Some of them, I'm surprised that these aren't in the money cards, and vice yes. versa. I'm surprised some of those money cards were actually worth what they were. But cards like Thranforge and Buried Alive, I believe two very different cards, powerful for very different reasons, but each huge potential role players in the specific decks that they belong in. 
And hey, a card like Buried Alive, I think that deserves to be like the number one money card because it is the most useful card in the entire set, in my opinion. But that's just me, you know. <laughs> no, I agree with you on that. I mean, there was a lot of hidden potential in this hidden gem section. And I mean, my list, I was very surprised with afterwards. I was like, I, I like all these. Like, to cut one of them is really hard. Like, normally I like to pick, like, keep a couple in to just kind of make Kyle twitch a little bit. But. <laughs> Not this time. Like, everything I found, even Kyle agreed with most of my choices this time. And I'm, I was thoroughly surprised and flattered by it. Oh, but... thanks. You're, you're, you're welcome. The only catch I have is that most of the cards are just very niche role players. But, they, hey, there's cards like Mindstone that are great in pretty much every deck. It hits there's a few of those, there's too. There's a couple staples, actually, in the mm. Hidden Gems that really see a lot of play that are very versatile in what they do. Yeah. And... Honestly, I would say this set is worth a look at if you are considering trying to find some sort of like oddities or gimmick cards that make your deck a lot flashier or a lot harder to combat. I agree. There's a lot of cool cards I have laying around that I realized were then from this set. I was like, oh, these are always on like the edge of playability for me. Yeah. They're always kind of in the back of my mind. But they could easily be home in a deck if like another mechanic comes out or there's a commander yeah. that can be an asset with these. So they're not outside the realm of possible. No, I think there's growth potential here. But speaking of growth potential, let's go on to the money cards, shall we? Oh, actually, that is a great segue for that. Because <laughs> in the money cards, I'll, if you don't mind me taking Oh, go ahead, go ahead. We saw some cards that actually have recently experienced a great amount of growth, like mm. Lotus Veil, for example, where it was a $3 overlooked card, good, a little risky, but it's up to 20-some dollars right now. Mm. It's only been printed once, and it's the same thing with something like Winding Canyons. Super cheap when it came out. People liked it, thought it was good, but didn't really see what it was like super hyped for. And then it just, bam, up to 20 bucks. It's It's been there. It stayed there. People who played wish they had it. More, like when they were back in the day, wish they picked up more copies because it's just such a useful card. So, well, valuable. Yeah, for me, the money cards, some of them were all right, but most of them were just pretty lackluster in my opinion, especially uh. things like Goblin Bomb, you had the Gemstone Cavern, or mine. I'm pretty ant eh about that. Uh, but only, they're good in what they do uh, still. Some of them. Only Out of all of them, only Null Rod is actually highly played. And even that one, I probably wouldn't play in, even in decks it made sense in because it's just so incredibly narrow and specialized in what it does. It's just not worth going out of your way for that it's most of the time. These cards are specialized in a very unique way. And, and most of these were lands. And typically for the lands that we usually see, they're fetch lands. And, or shock lands. Or something that does with fixing. These weren't exactly fixing lands. These are something that are boosting lands. And you don't see those a lot. And especially as money lands. So these, I think these money cards are actually refreshing for me almost to say Meh, the one the only one i thought was a yeah duh that's a money card was winding canyons but oh and no rod know. like you said well even i don't i don't really like that one but at least i can understand why it's worth money all right still. so i don't know the money cards were kind of a miss for me on this one well all right i liked them kyle faltered mm. but uh moving on from our money section and into the lore now yeah. kyle you're a little bit more well versed into this well i can talk a little bit about this because basically weatherlight was the set that started out the entire weatherlight saga for those of you who 
are at least a little bit familiar with magic, you probably recognize that name. The Weatherlight is the name of the flying, plane-shifting skyship that takes a bunch of characters on adventures across multiple worlds in the magic universe. And, and its rival basically, is the Praetor, Yeah, right? and basically Yawgmoth, yeah, and leads right up to the Phyrexian invasion of Dominaria and the catastrophe that happens after that. And hey, in the new Dominaria set, the Weatherlight even made a comeback, so we all As thought it was gone. And it's back now, so hey, cool. It can't plane shift anymore, but you know, it's still cool to have a flying ship. It's an antique car. It's not as cool as it was, but it's still something. Yeah, but anyway, the Weatherlight the Set story kind of sees uh, the kidnapping of the Weatherlight's captain, Sisse, and the assembling of a new crew to try and go rescue her, which happens in the next set, Tempest, which we've talked about a while back. Um, but it, crew members like the you know, the the, uh, the uh, un, unwilling hero Gerard, the goblin Squee, the like the, the goblin you, cabin boy. You hear uh, all these Tangarth, names. the Minotaur. The main characters yeah. are immortalized as cards. The yes. arts in a whole bunch Plenty. of different cards. Yeah. And this was actually probably one of the bigger story arcs that they've done. Oh in Magic. yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, probably second only to the current Bolas story arc, which has spanned, like, well, five blocks now. <laughs> Bolas left and came back, so, I mean, apparently mm. you could still bridge those, and it's yeah. enormous, as Bolas is. Mm. But, uh, yeah, anything, any other parts to add to no, that? No, I think that's pretty much it, yeah. Okay, well, then now it goes into the realm of impact. And this Indeed. Is, as magic as a whole, how we, uh, character card design, how the mechanics have fared over time... I mean, and also how they value. So, take it away. All right, fine. I'll start off with this. Uh, and I'll say, there are a couple of cards that have made impacts in competitive magic. Null Rod. There, there, there's some other... Buried Alive, perhaps. There's a couple others, too. But most, for the most part in this set, they're, they're solely curiosities and maybe niche commander cards. I don't really see most of them having a broad impact on the game now or probably in the future although i could always be wrong about that the hidden gems were super cool i will admit it not sure how many of those i would actually end up using but they were cool they were all pretty much worth considering at least <laughs> and well let's just not talk about flanking okay because that's just i'm with you on it. flanking yeah. for that but for uh <laughs> impact itself i thought it was pretty impactful actually um maybe not on the money cards style or mechanic solely like like you said we, the ones we've gone over like they aren't the most impressive now again phasing has made a return and we could mm -hmm. see more of that it seems like they're trying to correct it so i'm not willing to just shut that one out right now but and cumulative upkeep again they've used it to kind of hose cards at the time that were too big like too monumental mm -hmm. so it was like their way of level capping something yeah they kind of now didn't age as well but beyond the mechanics they and i mean you said they're hidden gems totally but they had something in the hidden gems i feel like is almost a mechanic it's not entirely but it's versatility in a card now normally with the card it usually is functioning in one way but there's fail safes that we like in most cards like commander sphere or soccer tribal you can mm -hmm. have a built-in sack outlet with it Aura Silence was printed in the set as OG. And I look at that as a great build, and I'm pretty sure Wizards did too, because it does something and it has an alternative plan down the line if something goes wrong. And it wasn't just on one card. We saw it on a couple cards in the set. Did, it's yeah. almost as if that card design, they implemented it in the future of doing more than just one thing. And we see cards now having two, three, four effects, like yeah. Planeswalkers, for example. So they definitely started getting more adventurous with what to do with 
one single permanent, one single single card. So I think it was the baby step towards making a greater magic play style. I'll give that to you. You could be right about that. Interesting point. But, I mean, it's not something that's obvious. It's not thrown in your face, but there's definitely power in this set, and it's obvious. But, um, all right, well, now, since we're talking about obvious here and there, let's, let's no longer sugarcoat it. Uh, so we're going to go into our ranking. Yep. And, Kyle, now, it seems like you're kind of uh, a foot on different things, but what are you going to place this as? Well, I am going to give this one a silver it what? doesn't quite measure up to a gold. It's almost there for me, but just not quite there. It has some cool cards that are worth looking into, worth investigating, especially as budget options for other cards, and likely won't be reprinted, so they will continue to hold their current value, some of which is pretty good. But that said, it really didn't shake the game in any way. I can't really think of almost any card in here that consistently sees play other than a very small handful. So, it, don't get me wrong, I didn't think it was bad or anything. It's just, of some of the things we've looked at more recently, it doesn't measure up to that level, certainly. All right, well, I'm going opposite. It, it really? Is, I'm saying it's platinum from what? my Are point of view. Are you kidding me? This is not a platinum. This is way platinum. So... Ugh. For example, like, so we see cards that, again, started off as baby steps that created huge ripples throughout the game. I've already said one. However, we saw Fervor, the original printing mm -hmm. of Fervor. Well, haste is not something that is unfamiliar to Red, but they created and created it in better ways. And so they've taken stuff that they saw was good and utilized at the time and promoted it into the future, which, again doesn't shake magic at its core, but grows it into something that's even better. So, like, we see Hammer of Perforos and a whole bunch of other cards out there, like, uh, was it Flames of Yavimaya? Mm, fire, yeah. Mm -hmm. Fires of Yavimaya. So, like, that's fervor, but evolved. It right. is taken to its next level. And we can see where they're trying to kind of slowly get ideas and implement them in other places. They... By having cumulative upkeep, they were worried about power level for certain cards. They were trying to push the envelope. And you can see it with a lot. And the hidden gems, I loved. I loved every gem I found. I have I to found. agree with that. And they have so many implications of how they can be like spurred into the future so much better. Thran Forge is a card I've never seen, never heard of. You always hear Thran Dynamo, hmm. not Thran Forge. Well, the Forge can do something even more. We mentioned a lot into the hidden gems uh, in hmm. part two. But it can make a creature into an artifact, which has huge plays to make it so that other things that destroy artifacts or have protection from this and this changes the dynamic entirely. And this set does change the dynamic of magic itself. Not as scary as an effect as infect, not with like combo pieces or card design like uh, planeswalkers, but it just does something more that you see beyond something like Ice Age or something like uh, Dragons of Tarkir or something like that. Right. I was pleasantly surprised. I would love to do a part two of this one. This is a second look at some more hidden gems even. I would definitely go for that. I, other than the hidden gems, nothing just really wowed me about this set. Not the money cards. Not, uh, not the, the mechanics. Impact, not the mechanics. Nothing really like that. Nothing. Nothing really impressed me But it's me like all the story. Much. It was the beginning of an adventure, and where this adventure took us was into a great realm of new card design. 
You could be right about that. I don't. I. I don't think any of us can look into the minds of what they were thinking back then at Wizards. But yeah, I could see. I, I understand the argument you're making. So appreciate. I'm. It. I, I'm not going to change my opinion necessarily, but it's uh, worth thinking about. Mindstone was in this set, and that's to also paint a picture for you. Since Mindstone both had functionality and long-term uh, longevity for its Plan B, you see that with a whole bunch of the cards, and that's actually what we hold a standard to for most cards this day. Mm -hmm. So, take it or leave it for what you want, but either way, we're going to wrap this episode up. This is the final one. We're going to a new set once we come around next week. We're not spoiling it yet, so wait to find out. But if you like what we're doing, please subscribe, like, or comment. Let us know what you're thinking out there or any kind of things you want to see. And be sure to tell us on our social media. Yeah, we've got Reddit, Tapped Out, Facebook, Twitter. You can find us at the handle The Card Pool on all of them. Or you can always email us at mtgthecardpool at gmail.com. Until then, I'm Stu. And I'm Kyle. And we'll see you next time at, at The, the Card, Card Pool. Pool.